Hello, everyone. Welcome to JCV Art Studio. My name is Joanna. I'm the author of Dealer's Child and The Unraveling, and I've been working on rewrites. Today's guest and I were just talking about rewrites and how critical they are. And um, I'm really excited to talk with Amy Tector. Okay. Um, I know I've, I've I've let it out a bit to some of my friends that Amy was coming back on the podcast and they're, they recognize your name. They recognize your name, Amy. So uh, <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know who Amy is, she has spent, and I loved this. I got it right off her uh, bio on her website. She has spent 20 years plumbing the secrets squirreled away in archives, whether it's uncovering a whale's ear, which is a true story, and a box of old photographs, or working in The Hague for the United Nations International Criminal Tribunal for War Crimes and the former Yugoslavia. She has been privy to hidden records and extraordinary secrets which, Amy, that must be so cool. I'm just thinking in, in terms of writing mysteries, okay? And uh, her debut novel, The Honey Bee Emeralds, was published in the spring of 22, 2022. Excellent book. Her second novel, The Foulest Things, is the first in a loose trilogy centered on murder and mayhem in the archives. Another excellent book. Amy has a PhD in English literature. She lives in Ottawa with her daughter named Violet, a husband named Andrew, and a dog named Daffodil. And I've seen Daffodil in your newsletter. What a perfect name. Such a cute dog. Um, in Amy's words, she says she's an enthusiastic but incompetent cross-country skier. But I'm also going to say that she's a damn good author. And Amy, I'm excited to talk about Speak for the Dead. Welcome back. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Really enjoyed our last conversation. Good, good. Now, I was reading your newsletter. And with this book, you had wanted to put lyrics in the book. And I know I so wanted to do that with the last one. And we can't, can we? Well, I mean, we can pay and <laughs> <laughs> and and wait. So because songs are songs, of course, are copy. Most songs are copyrighted. And of course, you have to as authors, we want to make sure that authors are compensated. So I, I'm on board for that. Um, I had thought having done zero research that you could put a little bit of a lyric in and, and sort of get away with it, quote unquote. Um, but then the more I looked into it, because songs are so short, yeah. that the amount that you can that you can take and not be infringing on someone's copyright is, is it, it, it's not worth it. So essentially, if you want to put a song lyric in, um, in, a, in a book, then you then you need to you need to get permission. And then and often then the the owner of the copyright Want, wants compensation and it can be quite expensive. So, and it can take a long time even just to get an answer back about permission. So it's doable and you see it, you know, there's books that have song lyrics in them, of course, and but 
but those authors have hopefully paid the songwriter and, and, you know, got permission and everything. So, because I know with Dealer's Child, it was the Rolling Stone satisfaction. (laughs) And I thought, no, not going to happen. I could just say title of the song by the band. That's it. Right. Which I do understand because, like you say, we know we want to respect that copyright. Yeah. 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 So now, who was it? Who was the who was the um, artist who you wanted to include the songs with? Well, in my in a very early draft, I had I had written "Speak for the Dead" is about um, uh, this my latest novel. There is sort of um, a fire element that kind of runs runs through the whole thing, and so I had um, I had li- li- enjoyed Leonard Cohen's song "Who by Fire," which yeah. is quite an ominous kind of eerie it's a good it's a good mystery novel song and the lyrics are super interesting and of course Leonard Cohen is fantastic and then he's a poet you know as well as musician and and, you know Canadian and from Quebec even so I feel a nice connection there but um yeah so it was his his song who by fire um was was what I and in fact I was like oh I could even title the book that which (laughs) So in the early, so some early drafts, like buried in an old computer, it's, you know, who by fire, but um, I ended up, I had to sort of take all that out and, and remove, kind of remove the references because it didn't work anymore. But that's, that's okay. I think, that's, it, I think it's still all right. You, you still, because you still mentioned the, the um, Leonard Cohen, and mm-hmm. I think you even mentioned the song. I'm just trying to remember back, right? Um, now, what was really kind of Amy is she sent me the book. I think it was even around December. Amy, I didn't start reading this book until last Thursday night. And I finished it Sunday at dinner time. I was hooked. I oh. was hooked, hooked, hooked. Okay. And you fly through it. Okay. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. Thank you. Because I'm also like I'm working on my own writing. I'm writing. I'm I'm looking after dogs. So it's not as if I have, you know, endless amount of time to read. But um, I remember Sunday afternoon, I I sat down and I just I thought I'm finishing this. I've got to find this out, right? <laughs> and then I think it was six o'clock, and and Ed said, "Okay, you you want to have nachos?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure. I'm not hungry yet. Are you? You're not? Okay, good." <laughs> I'm still reading, you know. So let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So speak for the dead. New character, new time at the Dominion Archives. Can you tell us about our heroine, Dr. Kate Spencer, and how she gets involved with the Dominion Archives? Yeah, absolutely. So my so the first book in the series, The Foulest Things, takes place 10 years earlier um, in the dead of an Ottawa winter, and it centers around a young archivist who's working at this fictional Dominion Archives. Um, this new book um, takes place in present day, uh, and it still features the Dominion Archives as the setting, but as you said, there's a new character. And so uh, the novel opens with Dr. Kate Spencer, who's a coroner, being called out to an uh, one of the outbuildings of the of the Dominion Archives. So not the main, not the main place, but a but a really special building um, that exists um, in t- to store nitrate film, which is a highly combustible, very dangerous 
uh, substance. And so the so she's so it's sort of deliberately placed in this very isolated area because it, it's the con- its contents are so explosive. She's called out there to investigate what a police um, assume is a suicide by hanging, and and Kate immediately has her doubts about that, and so she begins an investigation, sort of in parallel, but sort of in opposition to the police, who are anxious to just kind of wrap things up, and. Of course, as she investigates, because it's a murder mystery, she does sort of uncover more clues and, the, you know, all is not, um, d- d- all doesn't, isn't as simple as as it first appears. And so she, she gets into that. And um, because of my own interest in the archives and history, there is a historical element as well, where 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 things that have happened in the past come into play in in the in the murders that are happening or the murder that 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 happens in the in the present day and so she has to sort of delve into the past to, to crack the present day murder okay okay <laughs> so i want to talk about her um i want to know how you came up with her and um so a couple of things I'm working on a new character, okay? And um, after writing a series with my certain crew of characters, it's like I can slip in there and I'm like, I know these people, okay? Yeah, yeah. So um, how did you come up with her? Um, I'm starting to get more, like, I'm working on this alternate history book now. And I'm starting to get, I found like a core of what motivates this, this person. So. Did you write like an essay about her? Because I sure haven't done that. Okay. I haven't write, written an essay about her. Or are you one of those authors who <laughs> your character came to you like almost like fully formed? Because that has not yet happened to me yet either. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think we're similar then because uh, it's, it's the same for me. So no, I didn't write an essay. And no, she didn't arrive fully formed. I uh, I'm trying to accept what my process is, which is very inefficient, and it's to write and then rewrite and then rewrite again. And so my characters, what I have realized is on first blush, they're really they exist to kind of make the plot go. Yeah. And because I'm because I like a plotty novel, I like things to happen and I like twists and turns and I like I like the story. That's usually where my first focus is in the first draft, is I and because I don't outline. I don't know what's going to happen. So I like to write a first draft to find out what happens. And then I realize that my draft is peopled by cardboard cutouts who are not interesting at all. So I know that this like goes against all sorts of craft books. And I, and I've tried to, I've tried to follow, you know, find the third rail and I forget what, what book that is, but well, there's a, there's a very compelling author who writes about care, how important character is and character motivation. And she talks about the, the third rail, which is the subway on the subway system, or the third line in a okay. subway. It's like the electrical line that gets the subway moving. Yeah. And so that's the thing in your character and in your novel that you're supposed to find is like their sort of intrinsic motivation from, and then you're supposed to write out from that. Okay. Uh, I will try to remember that as we talk. <laughs> try to remember. It's very fa- it's a very famous craft book. Okay. Anyway, as so I've read that and I've tried to do that, but I can't seem to. So I... So I write a first draft with with characters who maybe it's like why are they doing these things? Well, they're my secret is they're doing them because I want the plot to go certain ways and I want yeah. things to happen. And then I go back and I by then I 
there are some glimmers of personality and then I can build on that. Wow. And I, and it takes several drafts where I'm concentrating much more on character now because I know what they're going to do. And now I need to understand who they are. So that's, I think it is a little bit backwards and maybe it's not the right way to do it, but it's, it's the way that I know how to do it. Yeah. Um. And I, yeah. So, and I could just keep, you know, I could write a million, I could just keep going polishing and polishing these stories but at some point I have to say there that's enough like these people are now believable I like them or I don't like them but I understand a little bit of what their motivation is and I'm gonna I'm gonna leave them to readers now to to uncover she's great and she is flawed whole um (laughs) okay so another thing like it's it's interesting sometimes the timing of when you read books and the conversations you have um because my critique partner and I, we've kind of been having a discussion about heroines, okay? Um, And I mean this in the nicest way. Kate is a bit of a hot mess, okay? She's got stuff going on, okay? Um, She has a drinking problem, okay? She gets mad and she pushes people away. And she refers to herself as a screw-up. Yet, the reader is cheering for her. You know, and um, in my head, I keep think as I'm reading about her, I'm thinking, go to AA, <laughs> go to AA, right? And she has other characters saying to her, you know, go to AA. So uh, where I'm thinking is that line in terms of a character referring to themselves as a screw up or as a failure, yet you still have the reader cheering for them and pulling for them instead of saying, no, no, I don't have time. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it could go both. You, there's a, there's a line and you do it very, very well. Cause I don't give up on this lady. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there is a line and you, I, my, how I approach it is when you start to read a book, you, the, the reader is naturally inclined to sympathize and root for the protagonist okay. because we're in their perspective or even if we're even if it's not you know first person you're you're following their story and so you're naturally inclined to be understanding towards them to root for them to wish to you know uh, give them good motivations until until they show you otherwise um so so you've got sort of this bank of goodwill that you start with which means that the person, your character at the beginning, doesn't have to be a paragon of virtue and be cuddling kittens in order for the reader to to, to like them, and that might in fact turn the reader off because they're you know they're they're too good. So I like to start with someone who's flawed, and explore those flaws because we are all flawed, and that's what's interesting and that's what's human. But like you said. If there are if they are kind of messed up and fumbling and doing the making the wrong choices, you can lose readers' patience and they can get fed up, especially if the choices, but we all, again, as humans, it's not a straight line. You know, Kate could have gone into AA on the page one of the book and then had a, and started drinking on page three because that's how life is, right? Like you think, oh, I've I've gone to therapy, I've got myself sorted out, but then whoops. <laughs> back in your old patterns or discovering new patterns. And so that's much more realistic, but there, but in fiction, you do want to see 
for the kind of fiction I write, you do want to see a little bit of, of movement. And, and, and for me, I, I like to see a little bit of progress in my characters. I like them to know something about themselves that they didn't know at the beginning. That's not always the case. Literary fiction often has people who don't kind of grow or learn or change as much, yeah. uh, depending on what they're exploring. But I, I like there to be a bit of a, a little bit of an evolution. And so I think, because I think that that keeps the reader engaged and keeps them from throwing up their hands and being like, are you kidding me? Like another terrible decision with ramifications with no redeeming qualities, all the goodwill that I started out with that sort of, I automatically have just by picking up a book is gone. I'm sick of this person. I'm mad at the author. (laughs) I want my money back. So, so a little bit of progress, a little bit of growth, um, it's, is always kind of what I strive for just, and, and I, I do think that we're all growing and learning mostly as we, as we get older with lots of regression. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just thinking, even if Kate, like you said, went into AA on page one and then started drinking on page three, I would still be with her because I would have seen that she had tried Mm, right yeah. and she fell yeah. back because she's human right yeah. you know and um the i don't want to say the poor girl but i mean she's trying to kick alcohol and she's trying to stop smoking and i mean <laughs> the scenes where she's saying i want a cigarette but i chomped on a carrot stick just <laughs> <me> laughing okay <laughs> um okay okay so it's almost like even if she makes bad decisions it's her it's i think it's seeing that character trying trying to redeem herself you know so what would you if you were to put it like in one sentence would you is that part of it yeah yeah it's it's yes it is it is that trying and and i also think you need to have your character succeed sometimes and be competent at things so for me it was important even though she makes bad decisions and sometimes she's not great at her job an underlying um, character trait is that she takes that job seriously and she wants her intention is, is to do right by that job. And she does have good instincts and she does make, she does, you know, she, she also succeeds as much as she fails, she succeeds in these, in, in tiny ways um, over the course of the book. And that, that also is, is important. And that's, and I find competence, I think most of us do very like attractive and reassuring. And so I, I wanted to show her, as competent in some areas of her life, even if even in those areas, she sometimes messes up. Because now I'm thinking again, as I'm listening, she is successful work-wise. If you think of it at the end of the book, she solves the crime, but it's almost like her personal life is just a um, is is not right. So I'm just I'm, I'm I'm now I'm really starting to think about this. Yeah, <laughs> because I know my reaction. You have the scene at the party. You know this big, very fancy event. She meets her ex at the party, and they. How am I going to say this? They they do they reconnect physically and mentally beautiful scene on the grass and meanwhile i'm in my head as i'm reading it i'm thinking don't don't do it yeah. don't do it don't sleep with them. don't 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 and she did it right you know which is good you know good. Oh. Yeah. and by the way that intimate scene 
with Kate and her ex was excellent. Like, oh, well, thank yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I find those intimate scenes hard to write. I'd rather write an action scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard people say, well, it's all about the emotion. Mm. But then I'm thinking, well, what happens if you have a character who doesn't express her emotion? And I got, you you did it so well. Any, I, I want to know, how did you do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Without well, it sounding robotic. Well, it's so tricky. And like the, even the vocabulary that you use and how you're describing things, right? You veer into like anatomical or, or you know, smut or... <laughs> Or like two, you know, like throbbing member, like too, too romantic, too romanticized. So it is hard. And I certainly like that scene isn't very detailed. So it's not like a, but what I was going for was the don't do it. Like this yeah. is a bad idea, but that you could understand. So from her emote, so I was trying to also convey those emotions that she's sort of caught in this particularly vulnerable moment and so you can understand why it happens even if you know as the reader this is not a not a smart move but you can be like oh yeah I can see how that could arise and I don't you know we've all probably been in maybe not that situation but similar situations where we've made maybe not even around sex but just you know made those wrong decisions and so that that um that yeah, yeah, that 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 need is yeah. is super important combined with sort of confusion and sometimes you're you're disconnected from from how you're feeling or you're you're um you're you're almost disassociating so you're you're just trying to connect in some way to to yeah. get through to the next moment and that's that's kind of what I was going for. It did a great. It did a great. As I thought after I read it, I thought way to go. She did it. She like, okay, lesson learned here. Okay. Okay. So another thing I liked is how you connected the foulest things to the previous book to speak for the dead. And it was just a simple line. Again, it's to me, it's all like a lesson, you know, where one of your characters, maybe I think it might've been Rose who she says there was like a murder 10 years ago. Like, yeah. Perfect. So was that ever, um, did you ever wonder how you were going to connect the two books? Cause you don't want to go too much into what the last book is. Yeah, for sure. And like, I, I knew that this was, I'm, I've kind of done this weird thing where I've, I'm writing a series, but I don't always have the same characters. So when The Foulest Sinks came out, some of the reviewers were like, oh, we love Rose and can't wait to, you know, it's the first in the series and can't wait to follow her in her adventures. And I just thought, oh, no, the next two books don't have Rose in them. Yeah. <laughs> what have I done? Yeah. So I was definitely nervous about that because Kate's very different. Oh, not Rose. Sorry. Um, uh, Jesse. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Who's the who's from the from the first Foulest things features Jess. So Jess is not in this in the second one. Um, and Kate is a very different character from Jess. She's much more sort of grizzled and, and kind of messed up, really, than Jess, who's kind of starry-eyed and just starting out in her career. Um, so I, I was I was nervous about that. I d- and I didn't want, but I didn't want to over-explain. And I just wanted to sort of say it's the same world. That's yeah. the, 
that's that's the sort of selling point. Um, but I also wanted to make sure that readers from the first one had a few things. If they had come to the second book because of their interest in that first one, I wanted to give them something. And I feel like I maybe should have given more, like a few more sort of hints or pop-ups or things. And I and I and I didn't and and I'm glad that that was, I'm glad that was enough. I also, the circulation clerk who's in the first book in The Foulest Things shows up in the second one in an extremely minor way. But I was like, oh, well, he's, he's in there too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you got a, you got a fist pump. I thought, okay. (laughs) Cause I was wondering, I thought, how is she going to do it? Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. 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 Now thinking of your characters at the archives. Rose, she's adorable. She's very, she struck me as someone who is passionate about her job. She stuck to the rules somewhat, okay? And it was just, I don't know if she said this line a couple of times, but there was a time when she says, you do not steal records from the archives. And like, (laughs) I I could feel her passion, okay? And I, I thought, I wondered if, if, I'm just thinking, having worked for the government, any, any, I don't want to say employees, because I don't want to say, but you do not steal records from the archives, right? Like, passionate about archives. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, at heart, these books are about um, the value and importance of archives and my love for them. So I'm. it's hard for me not to have characters who kind of express that at some point or other. And no, I mean that's that's fundamentally things <laughs> from the archives. You've got planning, Joanna. Don't do that. It's very wrong. Yes, from there for history and posterity. So, yeah. so yeah, no, I mean that's a that's a fundamental. You got to protect that stuff so that other people, future generations, can learn and enjoy and and crack mysteries. So yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of good issues. A lot of good issues. You, I loved what you brought up, and I, I think it's. I don't know whether it's just because I like history, but it it's not too much. Like you don't, you don't like shove history down our throats, but you you bring up, you bring up First Nations issues, you bring up the treatment of blacks and First Nations during World War II. I never knew about the chemical weaponry being produced in Canada, Mm -hmm. spy school. I did know about the arrow. Mm -hmm. And you talk about, I I took it from your book. It's the Oro Canada CF-105 arrow. And I just know about it because I saw a documentary. Can you tell our listeners about this arrow? Well, yeah, it's. I mean, they might be familiar because there was a, a thing about the Avro Arrow that um, there was a, a Canada, uh, you know, those short commercials. What are they? Heritage Minutes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was this amazing technology. This, you know, um, that that was entirely Canadian developed post Second World War, sort of right as the as the um, uh, the um, Cold War was really ramping up and um, like extremely ahead of its time, like the like the sort of the highest tech available at that time. And just as it was sort of about to be, 
you know, revealed and launched and used, um, Canada and the United States um, agreed to have agreed to NORAD, so that sort of um, North American uh, protection system. And so the so as part of that, um, the arrow was scrapped, and and essentially all the prototypes were destroyed, the plans were destroyed, everything. They tried to wipe it from history. You can't do that though. But um, yeah, so so it's so a really interesting story of like, you know, a, a moment in, t- in history when when Canada was at the forefront of this incredible technology and and you know, uh, partly just as a result of our our relationship with our very big brother to the south, um, uh, it 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 never saw the light of day. Wow. Okay. Okay. Now the other thing I didn't know about, and this fascinated me was nitrate so uh, that i I, i'm I'm sure i've got it wrong here now it's like a gas that is produced when old film deteriorates like i'm thinking of i'm thinking of the cameras where you had the film that you stuck in the camera and then it had like the little squares on it right which you didn't want to is is that the type of film you're talking about so no, so nitrate film, nitrate cellulose was used from about 1900 to about 1950, and it was called nitrate film. So if so, old photos from that period yeah. um, could would have might have been filmed. The photo might have been taken on that film, so, and the same for um, uh, movies film. Okay. Um, so all of it was shot on nitrate film and it's an amazing medium to capture image you can get incredible detail like really high focus they make beautiful 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 images the problem is that as it if it's not stored in absolute optimal temperatures and i don't know all the chemicals of it all but like it's at its base it's it's nitrogen there's is is what's make is has formed this film with a bunch of other stuff i don't know um but as it, if it's not stored at optimal temperatures, it starts to deteriorate. And as it deteriorates, it off gases. And those gases can, are extremely flammable and can, in fact, if the conditions are right, they can literally spontaneously combust. And when they start burning, when nitrate film starts burning, you can't put it out because it produces its own oxygen. So it's extremely dangerous. So in the 1960s, there was a terrible fire. Um, at the national uh, Canada's National Film Board in Montreal, where canisters of the film, like for movies, um, caught on fire and just burned and burned and burned for days, and like a lot of Canada's uh, film history was destroyed because those were the originals that that were lost. So there are there are you know there are missing elements in Canadian film history because of the because of that fire, and then similarly. Um, if you like, there's been some famous um, theater fires, like um, the movie *Inglorious Bastards*, that which is, which is a Quentin Tarantino movie set in the Second World War. There's a there's a fire at one point in the in the the film um, projector room, yeah. um, and that's and it's so dangerous because that's nitrate film. *Cinema Paradiso*, which is another um, movie about movies. An Italian one that also features a, a fire in the projection room because nitrate film was so dangerous. Wow! Wow! When it deteriorated, and so it's 
So as an archives, you want to preserve the original, um, but you have to do it really carefully. And um, for a long time in real life, Canada's like our national uh, nitrate film collection was held in a sort of dilapidated building (laughs) on the edge of an Air Force base, very similar to what I write about. And I was uh, when I was working at the National Archives as part of the team that was moving that nitrate film from um, from this dilapidated building into a beautiful Canada now has a, a state of the art facility to store nitrate film with huge cement walls that are like um, blast proof. Um, and it's all specially designed to contain, if there's a fire, only a very small portion of the collection would be destroyed because it's all sort of sectioned off. And it's, it's again out in the middle of a field far from anything else. So that, so that if there, if anything goes wrong, um, you know, it's as safe as possible and to transport the the film from the old building to the new building involved a you know huge logistics and careful planning and it couldn't be done in the middle of summer because if the truck broke down and the air conditioning didn't work like it was dangerous to move this stuff on the highway so we had to wait till it wasn't too hot to move the material so it was it so that really working on that project obviously sparked a lot of my interest in writing about this crazy building out in the middle of nowhere and it's what it contained isn't that real? Some of the things you do just working at a government job. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't realize what's going on, but yeah. Like, yeah I mean, yeah, I'm just, you know, sometimes, you know, people, I remember people would ask me, where do you work? And I'd, I'd say, oh, I work for the government, but I thought I'm not going to, like, I didn't do anything like what you were doing. Okay. Moving combustible, dangerous film. Okay. You know, I worked as an an assistant in the prosecutor's office. But, you know, there there were times when I would deliver release orders to the sheriff's cells, you know, and be, you know, I remember they would just press a button and I'd walk into cells and there'd be, you know, accused in their cells, you know, and it's just, yeah, it's crazy. Some of the things you used to do (laughs) working for government, right? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Now, back to your book. Okay. Speak for the dead. Kate and her father have a very rocky relationship. And then on the flip side, you have another character, Simon, who's a protester. And there are just the... I. For me, the reader experience and I think the author experience, when you read certain lines that just take your breath away, you know. So I'd like to read just a couple. Like, and they're they're so varied, if that's all right. Okay. Yes, boy, okay. I'm not gonna say no to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is between Kate and her father. Like I said, there she's met her dad, she's at her dad's house. And they have a rocky relationship and she's, you know, she's trying to just talk to the man, you know? So she says, beautiful, sunny days though. She remarked, they were like skaters skimming across the frozen surface of their relationship, whizzing along on blades made of small talk. And I read that and I thought that is so cool. I really enjoyed that one. Like, 
thank you. Like, I love, I love that, you know, like I could, cause I could see it, you know? So, and then we think of poor Simon, I'm not going to say what happens <laughs> when he says this line and it's in reference to the lake because, you know, they're, they're wondering like, there's just what stuff that's going on. And so the reader knows it is hot. Like it, the, it, it's hot during when this story takes place. So Simon, he's the young protester, and he says, that lake is awesome, blue, clear, and really crazy deep. Everyone swims there, everyone except Annie. She refuses, says it's scare sacred, sacred, Algonquin waters or something. Screw it. When it's 45 degrees Celsius with humidity, I'd skinny dip and a vat of holy water blessed by Jesus Christ himself. And that made me laugh. That, <laughs> that so made me laugh, you know, like I just, and after I was looking at how the dialogue is set up and, you know, when he, he repeats words, you know, he, um, just thinking here, where did I see it? You know, like he says, really crazy deep, right? Everyone swims there. Everyone except Annie, you know, and I just thought this is how people talk. And then at the very end where he says he'd skinny dip in a vat of holy water, blessed by Jesus Christ himself, that cracked me up. Okay. <laughs> so bravo on that. So do you, do you like writing dialogue? Cause it's, it's awesome. It moves this story. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I do like writing dialogue. I like dialogue. I, I think it's one of my favorites yeah. to write for sure. Yeah. Good. Good. I can hear those conversations and, and, and get them going. And, you know, as I said about my, how I develop my characters, a lot of my characters get developed through their dialogue. So like I said, I don't have an outline. So they start talking to each other and then I'm like, Oh, you know, Simon is like this and Oh, Kate is like that because they're, vo they start talking and then, and then I hear them. And then I know I, I get a, I get a hint as to where they've come from yeah. and I can, and then I can keep going and develop it. And then this morning when I was getting, like getting up and getting ready, I was thinking, you know, it's a scary, scary thought. How many voices a writer or author hears in their head? <laughs> You know, like really, if you were to think about it, kind yeah. of scary. You know, but that's like, we got to get it down on paper, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can't channel it productively for sure. Yeah. Okay. Now, the murder in which this book revolves around is solved, but you also leave us with a teaser involving Kate's brother. And as a reader and a fan of your novels. You are going to write about her brother's death, right? Like we, we, we you, please tell me. We, we got to find out what happens to happen to her brother. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on the next book, which should be out next spring, so next. 2024. And yes, that that all is answered because she still has like the hot the autopsy report, doesn't she? Like she she tucks it in her. I remembered this. She tucked it and she didn't look at it yet. She tucked it in her desk, right? So, um, yeah, good, good. Okay, now, lighthearted question here. You mentioned that there are high chairs. You know, Kate's <laughs> out doing her investigating. And I have to ask, are there really high chairs made out of 
Tibetan prayer huts. I'm sure someone, some wealthy person somewhere has done it. I I just invented that, but, but I'm confident that someone somewhere has done it. <laughs> that question made me laugh. <laughs> oh, because I, I thought I, I could see it that there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah like some major silly status symbol, but, uh, but not that I, I didn't, I just invented that. Excellent. Well, it got me. <laughs> so Amy, what's next? What, what, what you're working on the next book with the next one? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm working full time at the, at the national archives at Canada's national archives. So, um, so my, my writing is, is not as my output isn't as, as, as strong as it has been in the past, but yeah, I'm, I'm working on the, uh, I have written the the third book in this series, and I think there will probably be a few more still to come. So that's exciting, um, and yeah, so that that's really where I'm where I'm focused right now. Good. So, just thinking now, how do your coworkers feel? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was nervous, and I'm always very careful to say that my. My fictional Dominion archives is 100% fictional, based you know based on experiences I've had, but uh, but fictionalized. And of course, it is it is actually quite different from from the work I do. It's not the work I normally do is probably more bureaucratic and less exciting than what's portrayed in the in the novels for sure. Um, and I am very careful to ensure that nobody I'm writing about is based on anybody real. Yeah. That's yeah. not to say that maybe a character trait doesn't creep in, <laughs> with yeah. them, but but I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, and I and I want to work with the, you know I enjoy my colleagues. So uh, none of my colleagues are murderers. Yeah. None of them are scheming. None of them are. <laughs> and you <laughs> are, you know. and you are very careful because I I notice like in the acknowledgments, you 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 definitely you acknowledge that that none of this is based on. Anything, yeah. and you thank your employee, your coworkers too. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. I know when I worked at Reg's um, regulations, one coworker, she was talking to us about her cat and taking her cat into the vet, and I, she was talking about tuppence, and I did. I said to her, "Can I please put tuppence, your cat, into mm-hmm. my book?" Because her story about how she had to take that poor cat in to see the vet and that tuppence wanted nothing to do with the vet. Okay. So you can imagine. And so then in those instances, I'll say, may I please write about tuppence and your experience? And she's like, yeah, sure. No problem. Right. You know? So uh, yeah, no, it, it was thoroughly enjoyable. And um, I know I have some listeners who will say to me, you know, are her books available at the library and like people could, could find your books like on Amazon or bookstores? Yep. Any independent, any independent bookstore, if they don't have it, you can order it in Amazon, Indigo, Barnes and Noble. And if you're and your local library, please, if they don't have it, ask them and they'll, they'll, they'll get it in. And usually the, um, the audio book should be the, certainly the audio book for the first two is available. And it usually just takes a couple of months and then, and the audio book will be out too, if people prefer, um, you know, listening. Okay, good. And it's not hard because I know with one of my books, uh, lady who belonged to my sister's uh, Lanyosh handmade Facebook group. 
saw one of my books and I live on Vancouver Island. She lives in Saskatchewan, which is one, two, three provinces over, two provinces over from BC. And she was able to get dealer's child into her mm-hmm. library. So it's not difficult people like like Amy said, just make the request to your local library and they'll do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, Amy, Amy, anything you'd like to add? Um, no, well, I will say I have a newsletter and it comes out twice a twice a month. And if um, <clears throat> people are interested in following what I'm up to, or I, I sort of try to make it, it's not just about my writing. It's kind of, I try to put, I don't know, I do a roundup of links and tweets and articles and, and usually do a recommendation. So I hope it's kind of a fun thing to get in your inbox every, every second Sunday. Yeah. So please sign up if you're interested at all. And you can always unsubscribe. It's free. Yeah. I will make sure the link to your, your newsletter is in the show notes. And you could see daffodil, which is, a, <laughs> is it, it's not a labradoodle. It's a wheat. A cockapoo. Cockadoodle. Okay. Cocker spaniel. <laughs> okay. Well, definitely check out, you know, daffodil. Very cute. Amy, thank you. This has been great. And I'm I'm waiting for the next book oh boy okay well (laughs) thank you so much i really really appreciate it okay bye-bye bye